Well, if you've, uh, if you've just joined us, good morning again. Welcome. Great to have you here with us today. We're, last Sunday, we kicked off a new series, a final series for uh, 2019, The Majesty of Jesus, a series that will lead us up to Christmas as we consider um, who Jesus is. And it's probably, it, again, if you're visiting with us for the first time or if you're new here, just really helpful that this series is, is sort of fitting in with a bigger theme for the year. Our theme for this year is fixing our eyes on Jesus. And we've actually, as a church, been spending an entire year considering um, the person and the life and the work and the message of Jesus in term one. We considered the miracles, in a sense, the things that Jesus did. Um, in term two, we considered the message of Jesus, some of the things that Jesus said. And in terms three and term four, we're really looking at who Jesus is is the person of Jesus, that he is fully human or fully man and he is fully God. And in this particular series, we're really considering the divinity of Jesus, that Jesus is in fact God. This is really a study in Christology. We're looking at passages in the scripture that really highlight and emphasize the divine nature and being of Jesus Christ. And today we arrive at a passage in Hebrews. Um, sorry, and this has kind of been our theme verse um, for, our, for our theme this year. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. No matter how long you've been running your race, none of us in this room have reached the finish line yet. We might be closer to the finish line than some others, but wherever you are on your race of faith, the encouragement is to persevere and to keep looking to Jesus. So no matter where you are on your journey, the message is essentially the same. Persevere and keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Just as if you're in a race, no matter where you are along the track, you keep looking to the finish line and that keeps you going and it keeps you focused. I had a lot of fun with PowerPoint this week, although one of the problems for me is going to be how small the text is from where I'm standing. And I can now see that this is probably a little bit small. Um, but just a little bit of information on the book of Hebrews. We're not working through the book of Hebrews in its entirety. We're just looking at a passage today. And that's, in a sense, what we're doing through this thematic series. But I always want to give you guys a little bit of context to the book and, and where this particular passage is found. So Hebrews 1 in 1 to 4 is the opening section of the book of Hebrews, and it really functions as an introduction um, to the entire book in a sense. The themes that come out of these four verses, and there are many significant themes, um, are actually expanded in the book itself. The book of Hebrews was written, it's believed to be written around the mid-60s, and the author is unknown. It's one of the only New Testament books where we don't actually know who the author is. But he's writing to second-generation Christians. These are people who didn't actually see Jesus, um, but they're hearing about his ministry, if in a sense, secondhand from those who did. Um, the temple system is still in operation. So what that means is even though Jesus has died and ascended to heaven and made the perfect sacrifice for sins, the Old Testament sacrificial system is still in operation. 
And in a sense, the people, the Jewish people that the author is writing to are at danger of going back to their old Jewish ways of worshipping God, a a way of worship that that required um, ongoing sacrifices and required the role of a priest. And... um, the writer to the Hebrews spends a significant amount of time explaining how Jesus is the once and for all perfect sacrifice and Jesus is the perfect high priest. He functions in those ways. Uh, Thirteen times in the book it will speak of Jesus being better or greater or superior. And in a sense, again, what the author is doing is demonstrating and showing through drawing on a bunch of Old Testament texts. In fact, more Old Testament text is used in the book of Hebrews than in any other New Testament letter. What's happening here is the author is demonstrating how Jesus supersedes all of the ways that sacrifices were made in the Old Testament. Um, And the purpose of the book of Hebrews, as I mentioned just a moment ago, is to persevere. At the end of the day, that is what the, the writer or the speaker is wanting to say to his listeners, to keep focused on Jesus. Today's reading, Hebrews 1, 1 to 4, in my NIV Bible, is headed with this title, God's Final Word. God's Final Word. And that final word is his son. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. First sort of point that we gather from Hebrews chapter 1 is that God speaks God is a God of communication. In fact, if we open up to the very first book, the very first chapter, the very first word, um, in a sense, in the Bible, God speaks. God speaks creation into being. You know, oftentimes in relationships and oftentimes just in life, when there's a problem, so often it comes down to communication, (laughs) either poor communication or lack of communication. Isn't that true? Our God does not have a problem with communication. (laughs) Our God communicates and he goes to great extent to communicate. He has communicated in the past days. So what the author does is he, he looks at all of the ways that God prior to Jesus has communicated. And one of the ways that God has primarily communicated in the past days, all the days leading up to the person of Jesus in his incarnated state, is through the prophets. Now, to a Jewish mind, certainly the prophets speak of men who are highly esteemed, men like Moses and Abraham and Elijah, guys who foreshadowed Jesus, not only with their words, but also with their actions. Take Moses, for example, the words that he used to Pharaoh, let my people go. And God is constantly wanting to release and redeem his people from bondage. But then we see through the miraculous works of Moses, through the parting of the Red Sea, for example, the message of God wanting to release and redeem his people from trial and slavery and tribulation. So firstly, it it speaks of 
the men in the Bible who are considered prophets. It's not only limited, though, to those who we would consider and who are referred to as the major or the minor prophets. In the Old Testament, we have what's called major prophets. And this is, again, more in relation to the size of the book. So, for example, Jeremiah or Isaiah are really significant books of prophecy. They're considered major prophets. But there are also smaller books like Joel or Jonah. And their message is still very important and impacting, but they're much smaller in, in, in size and in length. And so, yes, it refers to characters like Moses and Elijah and David. It refers to those in the writings who were prophets. But as we actually consider all of the Old Testament, there are multiple ways and multiple people that God uses to communicate his message. However, that message is always considered to be a shadow. It's not the full or the complete message. No one singular prophet contains all of God's message. And so, and as the writer of the Hebrews said, he's spoken in the past through prophets in many various ways. So the message is, is very full, but it is incomplete. That is in contrast to how God has spoken in the last days. And for the early church, the understanding of the last days is this period between when Jesus ascended after his resurrection and when Jesus returns. So in the last days, Jesus has spoken through his son. And he's spoken through his son in one voice. So unlike all of the prophets, where we have multiple voices, we now simply have one voice. And it is a direct voice. God is no longer speaking through messengers. He is speaking through his son. And Jesus is God incarnate. God, in a sense, has come to speak to us. So what we have in the person of Jesus is the complete and full and perfect message of God that he wants to speak to us. And this, of course, isn't just limited to the words that Jesus spoke, although those words are very, very important. We'll take a look at a few in just a moment. But in terms of God speaking to us in these last days through his Son, that is to include the incarnation, the very fact that God has come to us in the person of Jesus, communicates that our God is not distant. Our God is a God who comes. Of course, it includes the teaching and the message of Jesus, but it also includes all of his miracles and his actions. Our God is a God who heals. Our God is a God who reconciles, who restores, who offers hope. And of course, it, it, it includes Jesus' amazing work on the cross, in his resurrection, and in his exalted position with the Father. So in the totality of the life and the person and the work of Jesus, God has spoken. When we considered some of the things that Jesus spoke about in earlier in term two, I thought it would be helpful for us just to be reminded of some of the top sayings or top messages of Jesus. What did God actually speak? Jesus, one of his very first sermons, if you will, was to repent 
and believe the good news. Do you remember when we talked about that? To repent is to change one's mind, to change the way one thinks. And then to believe is actually to act accordingly. This is one of the earlier messages of Jesus. And then Jesus, when he teaches on the Sermon on the Mount, he speaks about spiritual poverty, true humility in a person is recognizing that they are poor in spirit and that, they, and that when they recognize, when we actually humble ourselves to recognize that we need God, then the kingdom of heaven is ours. Jesus' great teaching about loving God and loving others completely, loving the Lord with everything that is within us and loving our neighbor as ourself. And a very challenging word that Jesus spoke is to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So what the writer to the Hebrews is saying, first and foremost, is that God speaks. He has spoken in the past through the prophets. He's spoken in these last days through his son. The challenge for his original audience, for his listeners, and indeed for you and I today, is are we listening? Are we genuinely listening? When God speaks, we ought to listen. How seriously do we take the words and the work of Jesus and seek to do the things that he taught? It's a real challenge, isn't it? It's a real challenge. Are we listening? Some of us are better listeners than others. Listening is actually a skill that is learnt. We can listen to respond, which means that when you're talking to me, all I'm thinking about is how I'm going to respond to you. Or we can listen to hear what the other person is saying. And, and, and actually, we're really wanting to try and understand, before we respond, what it is that is being shared with us. And I want to propose that it's actually the same with God. In our relationship with God, we can either be listeners who seek to simply respond, and by that I mean that our prayer life and our worship is all about us just communicating with God, which is a good thing, but it's only half. And then we can pray and we can worship in a way that's actually seeking to, to genuinely hear and listen. And so when we read the scriptures and we listen to the teachings in particular of Jesus, we are listening with a posture of wanting to hear and then indeed wanting to obey and wanting to follow. So the big question to us initially when we're confronted with this reality that God speaks is are we listening and how are we responding The writer continues, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand 
of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Now, the writer has just said that God speaks through the prophets, and in the last days, he has spoken through his son. He's talking about communication. What he wants to do now is highlight who Jesus is in his word, in his person, and in his work, and give the listeners every reason as to why they should listen to Jesus. So why should we listen to Jesus? What the author is going to do in only a very few short verses is describe in a magnificent way who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, what Jesus is actually doing, and what Jesus will do. Last week we looked at Colossians 1, 15 to 23. Fascinatingly, the Apostle Paul in that passage actually did a very similar thing in a few short verses, talking about who Jesus is, what he's done, what he's doing, and what he'll do. And the same thing we see here in Hebrews chapter 1, 1 to 4. I've had some fun with alliteration. The, the author to the Hebrews, I think, states at least, it gives us eight titles or functions that Jesus has. A few of them in Hebrews 1, 1 to 4 begin with S. And so I've gone with the S theme. Jesus, firstly, is God's son. Jesus is God's son. But in these last days, he has appointed to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things. Remember last week we spoke about that word firstborn. And it not referring to Jesus as a created being because we know that Jesus as the creator was pre-existent. But the language here when speaking of an heir is the same as that of a firstborn. It's a, it's a, it's a position of status. The firstborn is the heir. They stand to inherit everything. Everything, in a sense, is going to be for them. And in the same way, Everything that Jesus has created is going to be for him. So Jesus is God's son, and as God's son, he is God's heir. He inherits everything. Jesus is also the creator. He is the creator, or the word that I've used here, the best that I could find for S, the one that I struggled with the most, was for creator. But he is the shaper, one who gives shape one who creates, one who makes, and through whom he also made the universe. The New Testament is so cohesive in its understanding and teaching around Jesus being God's agent of creation. Jesus is the shaper. Jesus is splendid. The sun is the radiance of God's glory. John 1.14 says, We have seen the glory of the Father through seeing the Son. And this idea to radiate, if we think about the Son, a helpful, a helpful way for us to understand who Jesus is in relation to God is it's like the, he is like the rays of the Son. If you were to look at the Son and you see the rays, you cannot distinguish between the rays and the Son. The rays 
of the Son give off, show the glory of the Son. You don't know where the rays start or where the rays finish. In a sense, it's all part of one Son. And in the same fashion, Jesus is the radiance of God. He glorifies God. He illuminates God, just as the rays of the sun illuminate what the sun is all about. Jesus illuminates and shows us what God is all about. Jesus is the same as God. The writer says he is the exact representation of his being. Now that word representation originally meant character. And character, the word for character, was actually uh, a word that was used for a tool that would engrave things, that would stamp things, whether it be a coin or a seal. And in a sense, here is a, a picture. I haven't actually seen one in the flesh, but here is the back of a 2019 $1 coin. It has been stamped with a representation of Queen Elizabeth II. And that image is an accurate image of the Queen. In the same way, Jesus is an accurate image of the Father. I was fascinated to see how I probably don't take too much notice, especially of coins these days. I never use them. Uh, but, you know, the coins continually have been updated. So this most recent image of the Queen is the most recent image of the Queen. Now, the, the, Jesus, in a sense, doesn't need to be updated, just like our phones constantly need to be updated. The, but the image of Jesus is up-to-date and current. And what we see in Jesus is, is exactly who God is. Jesus is the same. Jesus is the sustainer. He sustains all things by his powerful word. Remember how Jesus brought creation into being? How God brought creation into being? It was through the spoken word. There's something so powerful about the spoken word of God. Not only through that spoken word does God create, but also through the spoken word does God sustain. The illustration I know breaks down, but I mentioned this last Sunday. Jesus not only creates as a manufacturer would create a car, but he continues to maintain or to manage that which he has created. He is deeply involved and immersed in his creation. He is a sustainer. Jesus is, of course, saviour after he had provided purification for sins. Jesus acted in that role as saviour. He has become the perfect sacrifice and he has become the perfect high priest. Jesus is Saviour. Do you know Jesus as Saviour? Has Jesus purified you of your sins? The offer is available to all. Hebrews 10.10, 10, so a little bit further on down the track, this is what the author writes. For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. The sacrifice of Christ is entirely sufficient. The once and for all sacrifice. Next, 
the author claims that Jesus is sovereign. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. There's a few things to tease out of this image here of Jesus being sovereign. When you've worked hard and you've finished your work, what is the posture that you will most likely take? You will sit down. (laughs) To sit down indicates that the work is finished. The job is done. And in a sense, when it says that Jesus sat down, this indicates to us that the work is complete. The work is finished. It is also to sit is a, power, is a position of power. It is a position of dominion. It is a position of authority. It is a, a position of rulership. It is a position of judgeship. Jesus embodies all of these things. And in fact, this image here displays what Jesus is doing and what Jesus will do. What Jesus is doing is ruling and reigning. He is, as Phil prayed, in total control. He is entirely sovereign. The scriptures say to us also that Jesus is currently interceding. He is praying to the Father on behalf of all who put their trust in him. Jesus is our representative. Whatever issues you're going through, if you have prayed to Jesus this week or any time, that prayer that you've prayed through the Holy Spirit to Jesus has gone from Jesus the Son to the Father. What an awesome thought. The very prayer that Phil prayed this morning was to Jesus. That's why we always pray in Jesus' name. And Jesus then takes that prayer and represents us to the Father. It's amazing. Jesus is in a seat of authority and majesty with his Father. Jesus is sovereign. And Jesus is superior. In verse 4, he writes, So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Now you might question, hang on, of course Jesus is superior to the angels. If he was pre-existent and he created all things, then he must have created the angels, which is absolutely true. But there was a period of time where Jesus was incarnate as a human being. And for a period there, there is a sense that he was lower than the angels when he was in his earthly state. But God has raised Jesus and Jesus is now seated at the right hand of the Father. And so he is superior to the angels. And again, we don't speak a lot about angels in modern times, perhaps. But certainly for the Jewish person, an angel was a heavenly divine being. And so what the author is doing here is it's another one of those 13 Jesus is better than. He's demonstrating because Jesus is seated at the heavenly Father's throne, he is superior to the angels. The Apostle Paul makes a similar statement in Philippians 2, 9 to 11. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
Hebrews 1, 1 to 4. You can see there's a bit of a movement. It begins here with the author saying that God is a communicator who has spoken. Ultimately, he has spoken through his son. He then demonstrates or illustrates the status, the person, and the work of Jesus. And what the author of Hebrews is going to do in his letter is encourage the followers to persevere, to listen, and to follow and obey. And the same message applies to us this morning. God has spoken. And his message is complete. There is nothing left for God to say. Everything that needs to be said has been said through the life and person and work of his son. The message to us is to listen and to follow and to obey and to persevere and keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. All glory be to his name. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, which speaks so powerfully to us. Thank you for this passage of scripture that we've examined this morning that highlights to us the wonderful person of Jesus Christ, who is Son, who is Saviour, who is superior who is sovereign. May we as those who have come under your word listen, not just listen to respond, but listen to hear. And may we, through hearing, follow and obey and persevere through the journey of faith to which you've called us. We do this, Lord, not in our own strength, but through the empowerment of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.